0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon we're looking at the truth of God's Word as it's been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 2. We have a couple of scripture readings in connection with that. In the first place, we turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1-12. through Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on Your name or strives to lay hold of You, for You have hidden Your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a desert. Even Zion is a desert. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple, where our fathers praised you, has been burned with fire. And all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, O oh Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? <laughs> now we also turn to the book of Romans, chapter seven, verses one through 12. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, Do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Let's now turn to Lord's Day 2. There's a subtitle over this section of the catechism, over this Lord's Day. The first part, our sin and misery. The first question and answer. From where do you know your sins and misery? From the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Beloved congregation of Christ, imagine for a moment a man with a boat. A man with a boat. And it's an old boat. And it's starting to show its age. Though perhaps you don't see too many of them around here anymore, it's a wooden boat. And some of the wood on this wooden boat is starting to get loose and starting to rot. But the man himself didn't know this. The really rotten and loose boards, the worst ones, were on the bottom of the boat where he couldn't see them. Nevertheless, the boat would still float, even though from time to time it would leak. You'd have to bail it out. One day, the man took his boat out on the lake. It was late afternoon, and as often happens at that time, the wind was really blowing hard, and there were white caps. The man wasn't worried. He thought his boat could take it. In fact, he was so confident about his boat that he didn't bother to take a life jacket along. Well, as he got out into the middle of the lake, he hit one more big wave, and one of those rotten boards under his boat came loose. Water started flooding into the boat, and he started to sink. Not having a life jacket and not being a strong swimmer, the man drowned. Now why did that man die? Well he died because he didn't know that there was a problem with his boat. If he'd known that the wood on the bottom of the boat was loose and rotten, he'd never have gone out on the lake that day. Especially in the late afternoon with the strong winds and the big waves. He could have been saved. Knowledge would have made all the difference. If only he'd known the bad news about his boat, the man would still be alive today. It's the same with us as we face a holy and just God. Left to ourselves, we are in serious trouble. And while we know deep down that the boat is old and decrepit, in other words, that we are to be judged by a holy God, we deceive ourselves into thinking that it will be okay. We tell ourselves, everything's going to be just fine. God loves us no matter what we do, or something to that effect. Then we find out that we were wrong. But by then it's too late. Knowing our sin and misery is a good thing for us. If we know that there is a problem, then we can also look for a solution. Following the teaching of Scripture, the Catechism points us to Jesus Christ as the solution for the problem of our sin and misery. But before it can do that, it first has to show us how bad our problem really is. You see, brothers and sisters, the Catechism works with the idea that the good news is only so good because the bad news is so bad. This afternoon, we'll follow our catechism as it takes us through the scriptural teaching on how the law of God gives us some really bad news. And as we do this, we'll consider the function of the law, its focus, and then finally, its fulfillment. The third question and answer asks us about the source of the knowledge of our sin and misery. How do you discover the bad news? From where do you know your sins and misery? Simple five-word answer from the law of God. Biblical answer. And if we need proof, we don't have to look further than what we read from Romans 7, seven. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. Now right away, we should be asking, Paul, Paul wrote Romans, Paul, what do you mean when you talk about the law? And if he could answer, he would tell us to go back to the beginning Of his letter, go back to the beginning of Romans. In Romans 2, Paul speaks about the law and the Jews. He also speaks about the law and the Gentiles. The Jews have the law written for them in scripture. The Gentiles also have the law. They have it written on their hearts. The law is a judge. And it does not discriminate. It judges one and all, Jew and Gentile alike. And so what is the law? Well, if we look in those first chapters of Romans, it's God's standard for righteousness and justice. And while it is written on the hearts of all men, Jew and Gentile alike, it's most clearly and obviously revealed in the Bible. And here we're talking about the whole Bible, not just the Old Testament, also the New Testament. In Scripture, all of Scripture, God reveals what He wants men and women to do. And He reveals that when these things are not done, there must be justice. There must be payment. Now, the law does have a number of functions in the Bible. As believers, we probably most often think of it in connection with our sanctification. We think of the law as the rule for our thankfulness. And as we go through the Catechism once more, eventually we will get to a section on that. But here in Lord's Day 2, and in, in Romans 7 as well, as well as the first three chapters of Romans, the law is something different. It has a different function. A negative function. Here the law condemns. Here the law judges. Here the law tells us what God wants people to do. How to live. How to think. How to speak. And if you don't do what He says, then there is judgment. Here the law is like a mirror. And when we honestly look into this mirror, apart from Christ covering us with His righteousness, when we look into that mirror, we see ugliness. We cannot do what God commands. So we see sin and misery. And the word... That the catechism uses for misery is difficult to translate into English. Remember from last time, mentioned that the catechism was originally written in German, and the word that's used for misery is one of those German words that really can't be captured in English. It's sort of like "hazelijk" in Dutch. The word is "alent." It describes the misery of someone living away from their homeland. It evokes images of homesickness. By our sin and disobedience, we have been alienated from God, from the One we were originally created to be in fellowship with. And so one of the reasons why God has given us His law is to make us aware of this condition. You could say He's given us the law to make us homesick. He wants to make us long for fellowship with Him again. He wants to show us just how badly we need Jesus Christ to rescue us. Like that man in the boat, we need to know about our need for rescue. And each Sunday, we hear a formulation of God's law. We hear the summary of God's law and the Ten Commandments in our morning worship service. And some wonder whether this is really necessary to do it each and every Sunday, time and again. Some of you have heard it thousands of times. Well, consider this function of God's law, of which the Ten Commandments are a summary. Galatians 3.24 teaches us that the law is there To drive us to Christ. Well, do we need to be driven to Christ time and time again? Well, think about it. Are we not prone to self-satisfaction and laziness? Do we not quickly forget our need for a savior? Brothers and sisters, be honest with yourselves. We so easily become smug and we think we're doing okay. What the reading of the law each Sunday does is it strips us of our pretensions and it puts us in the place we need to be. It exposes us for who we really are. Sinners in need of a Savior. The law is God's appointed means to make us recognize that. And so why on earth would you want to get rid of something that repeatedly brings you to the cross? This is part and parcel of the divinely appointed means of grace that we cannot do without. We can't do without it any more than we could take out the first three chapters of the book of Romans and declare them to be irrelevant. Now I realize that many people's minds often go on autopilot during the reading of the law. I've had the same experience. Periodically you can see people reading the liturgy sheet or or their minds are clearly occupied with something else or maybe someone else. If this is you, reflect on what you're doing. Do you really know your need for a savior so well that you can do something else at this crucial moment? What's living in your heart as the ten words are being read every Sunday? Are you humbling yourself before a holy God? Or are you drifting off in your thoughts? There's a cliché about familiarity and contempt. But keep in mind that if you are being contemptuous of the Ten Commandments, you are holding God's Word in contempt. Not the practice of the church. You are holding God's Word in contempt. And that's a very dangerous place to be in. And that familiarity, that can be put to good use. We can put it to good use while it's being read. Because we know what the commandments are. And as a result, we can reflect on them more meaningfully. There are no surprises during the reading of the Ten Commandments. Brothers and sisters, it's the Word of God. So, regard it as such. Look at this as a means of grace. A gift from God that He has given to you. A gift to freshly drive you to Christ at the very beginning of each new week. The next question and answer in our catechism takes us a bit further by asking about the requirements of God's law. What does God's law require of us? Now you might think that the catechism would at this point introduce the Ten Commandments. But instead, the authors chose to use the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 22. Those words, too, are are familiar to us. We often hear them after the reading of the Ten Commandments. When the Lord said these words, He was teaching the people of God two things. The first thing He was teaching is that the law can be summarized. Everything God requires can be boiled down to these two things. Love God and love your neighbor. It's not really that complicated. It focuses on on just those two things. The second thing Christ taught there in Matthew 22 is that the law of God runs deep. It goes for the jugular, so to speak. Anybody who thinks that they've kept God's law they would better think carefully about what the Lord Jesus says here. Sure, maybe you didn't steal from your neighbor. Maybe you didn't kill him. Maybe you didn't lie about her to others. But did you love him? Did you put her before yourself? What was in your heart towards your neighbor? And did what was in your heart show itself in deeds? Were you willing to go so far as to lay down your life for him or her? As the Lord Jesus did, showing us the perfect meaning of love. If you didn't do that, and do that consistently 24-7, all these other things are just window dressing, and they don't really matter for anything as far as your standing with God is concerned. The same thing goes for the first table of the law and the commandments regarding God. Maybe you didn't use God's name in a, in a wrong way. Maybe you kept the Lord's Day holy by not working and diligently attending the worship services. Maybe you didn't worship idols and you worshiped exactly the way that God commands in His Word. But did you love God? Did you love Him consistently 24-7? Did you love Him the way that the Son of God loves the Father With all your heart, soul, and mind, did you cast aside all other loves and empty yourself for Him? What was in your heart with respect to God? And did that show itself in actions? Did you love God? That is the most important question. And by putting that to us, the Lord Jesus shows us that the demands of God's law, while simple, are also very, very deep. And in saying these words, the Lord Jesus also wants to teach us that it is impossible for us to keep God's law perfectly. Because love is the one thing we all struggle with, isn't it? We do many of the external things. In fact, we often specialize in keeping up appearances. But what what lives inside, our love or our lack of it, that's where we struggle, falter, And fail. So the catechism finishes this Lord's day with a question and answer to point this out. Can you keep all this perfectly? And the answer is a straightforward no. We cannot fulfill God's law. God wants perfect love. And we have nothing to give. And here, rather than thinking about others and All their shortcomings, we have to be thinking of ourselves and our own sins. We have to know that our own tendency, our inclination, is not to love, but to hate. The Bible teaches us this very vividly in passages like the one we read from Isaiah 64. There we read Isaiah's very honest assessment of what he and others among God's people, God's people, are really like. One of the most stunning acknowledgements of human depravity is found in verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. God's Word speaks here of our righteous acts. You could put quotation marks around that. Because these are the things that we do that we think are so good in and of themselves. We think they're pleasing to God. His evaluation is something different. The reality, the objective reality, is that they're like filthy rags. All our so-called righteous acts are like cloths stained with disgusting filth. Why is it so disgusting? Because we cannot please God by perfectly keeping His law. We cannot perfectly love God and our neighbor. And so in ourselves... Apart from Christ, we are not fit to stand in God's sight. We are swept away by our sins and we shrivel up. God's Word tells us this, and what we see around us confirms it. I saw a recent poll this past week that stated that 95% of Canadians believe themselves to be morally and ethically upstanding. But 42% of the respondents Said that they wouldn't have an issue with lying to get ahead in their career. For many people, the issue is not whether it's right or wrong, but whether you can get away with it. So the catechism doesn't go too far when it says that we are by nature inclined to hate God and our neighbor. When it says inclined, it means that we head in that direction. You know, it would be a misunderstanding of our confessions and of Scripture to insist that people in general are always as evil as they possibly can be. Because you know as well as I do that unbelievers can do much civil good in this world. Unbelievers can love their spouses, they can love their children deeply, and they can love others too. Unbelievers can make good true and beautiful art and music. Through God's restraint and through His gifts, unbelievers are not as bad as they possibly can be. And neither are we. We confess, rather, that Scripture teaches that we are inclined to hate God and our neighbor. That means that we often do that. Especially apart from Christ and His redemptive work, we often move towards a hatred of God. We often want to fight against Him and His will for us. And the same thing goes for the relationships we have with other people, with our neighbors. Though God's Spirit working in our hearts, love for our neighbor should be something surprising. The catechism also uses the words by nature. Those are important words. That simply means by ourselves without God and His work in us and for us. By nature, this is the way we come into the world. Left to ourselves, we're more than likely to be focused on ourselves and not on others, whether that be God or other human beings. We slide in that direction. And so fulfillment of God's law is an impossibility for us. And so in that state, there is no hope for us. If we are on our own, without God on our side in Christ, we're in a boat that's destined for the bottom of the lake. In fact, we're going to die eternally. That's how bad our situation is apart from Christ. And when we have this knowledge, this necessary knowledge, then we know how much we need to be saved too. You can't know how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad news is. Because then we really know how much we need the Lord Jesus. Then we also value the Lord Jesus. And we want to praise Him for the salvation that He's brought to us. Only He can save. As Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.